0: All right. Well good morning everybody. If you're wondering what was that? Why 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 are they playing old country music songs? <laughs> that was that was, that's Nick Fick's favorite song. He always asks us to sing. And uh he's got a birthday coming up. And so and and, and I got can I I gotta make a confession. I really enjoy singing that song. <laughs> I mean all I can hear is Chris Christopherson when I go, Why me Lord And I can't do it justice, but it sure is fun. Um, we are going to have in between services. We have three octogenarian birthdays, um, uh, coming up. We have Nick Fick. We have Annette Fick and we have Keith Morrison. Uh, so in honor of, uh, of the three of them, we're going to have a little birthday cake in between services. So if you guys can stay for that and help celebrate them, we, we would, we would much appreciate that because they're worth it. We love those guys. Okay. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we are in the book of Numbers chapter 11. Hopefully we'll be finishing that up today. Because dad's starting 12 second service so <laughs> the heat is on. Um <laughs> Numbers chapter uh, 11 and uh I'm going to pick up in, in in verse 16. Um <clears throat> Now, of course, uh, we talked last week, we, we began chapter 11 talking about the, the Israelites are beginning to, to moan and complain, and there's actually two occurrences of that in chapter 11, and chapter 11 begins with a, with an occurrence of them complaining and griping, and it doesn't even tell us what the reason is, it just says that the Lord sent a plague amongst them and, and in the outskirts of the camp sent fire among them uh, and, and destroyed many of them. We don't even know what that was, uh, and it's not... I don't know what the exact measurement of time is between then and then begin complaining again about me. Uh, It's interesting how complaining begets complaining. My mom used to always say to me, I don't know why she said these kind of things to me. I was such a great young man with such a wonderful attitude, as some of you remember. (laughs) Um, She (laughs) thank you. I'm so glad you came in the later years. (laughs) Uh, But my mom used to say to me, Frankly, if you'll dread it, you'll dread it. If you dread it, you'll dread it. She also used to say to me, it was many, um, (laughs) because I used to say, (laughs) she used to say, you know, she put a Nike sign in my room, just do it, do it today, do it today. Because I would say, why do today what I can put off until tomorrow? Uh, And and she used to, but we won't talk about that part of it, but she used to always say, also say to me, your attitude determines your altitude. Uh, And so often, um, we almost create our own fate, or, we, you know, or in, the sense of, in the sense of, I'm not talking about speaking things into existence, so, so please don't, don't confuse what I'm saying, <clears throat> but we almost create our own fate in the sense that we put ourselves in a frame of mind for everything to be wrong. We put ourselves in a frame of mind for everything to be bad. We put ourselves in a frame of mind for everything to be a bummer. Uh, you know, you remember Eeyore from The Winnie the Pooh? You know what I mean? Oh, here comes Eeyore. You know what I mean? Hello. How was your day, Eeyore? Oh, it was cold this morning. You know, and God forbid that we are ever a bunch of Christian Eeyores. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody would want to be a Christian. You know, the, the, you've, you've probably heard it said that, you know, Gandhi was famously said, you know, I would be very interested in, in Christians. I have I a have great regard for the Christian faith. It's the Christians that I don't have a lot of respect for. And, and I don't know which Christians he met, and certainly we're not all that way, right? But we have to be cognizant of that, our attitude. God has given us. We have become, through the Holy Spirit and through the power of Christ, we're more than victors. And the Bible also says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you'll have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sins. Well, we know that in regards to him cleansing us of our sins and to having peace, but I think there's so much more to that, to walking in the light. If we're walking in the light as he is in the light, if we're having fellowship with the Lord, and we're walking in the light, and listen to me, you have that for you that's just a decision. You understand? An unbeliever, someone who does not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, specifically and who is not uh uh, in um filled with the holy spirit cannot simply make the choice to walk in the light until they ask jesus christ into their heart but the bible says that when we ask jesus christ into our heart to be our lord and our savior his holy spirit then comes and dwells within us into our cartier right our inner man the heart of who we are and he gives us the ability to do the things that we cannot do on our own That is, walking that Christian walk, living that Christian life, doing the things that Christ has called us to do as his followers. You understand, those things are beyond us. Our hearts are not naturally inclined towards good things. We've talked about many times the perfect example of little children. You don't have to teach them to do bad. You have to teach them to do good. They naturally do bad all the time, right? They naturally incline to go their own way, to only think of their own will. You have to specifically and purposefully and sometimes forcefully teach them to do the right things. We are not people, a people, a race that is naturally inclined to good. Sometimes when it suits me, when it makes me feel good, so much of the good, well, well, I've done this, well, I've done this, well, I've done this, well, I've done this, who'd you do that for? So often the things that I do, I do because it makes me feel good. Now I would like you to think it's because I'm so magnanimous. And I'm such a wonderful, lovable, cuddly, furry man. Right? And that's why I do these wonderful things. But so often it's because it makes me feel good. I do a good thing because it makes me feel good. That is not a, a work that I'm going to be rewarded for. Jesus specifically talks about us doing our good works and it's between us and the Father. This is for you, Lord. It's not for anyone else to ever necessarily ever even know about, if I have any say in it. But this is just me serving you, God, because you're worth it. Because you're worthy of my service. You're worthy of my worship and my praise. And what's more, you're worthy for me to take care of the other people that are worthy to you. I've told this many times to people that if you have any inclination or or feelings or leadings or callings in your life that you feel towards ministry, if you ever make it about the people, you're not going to last in ministry. If you just make ministry about the people, you're not going to last in ministry. Why? Because people are going to let you down. People are going to blow you up. People are going to stab you in the back. But if you do it specifically for Jesus Christ and in the service of our Heavenly Father, you'll never be disappointed. It's not about us. It's not about the people even. It's about the God whom we serve. Everything flows from him. It's no accident that that's what comes first. What are the two greatest commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like the first. The second goes along with the first. You can't have the second without the first. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of you this morning got up, walked into the bathroom, and the first thing you thought about is, man, I've got to take care of my needs this morning, and I wonder how Bill's doing if you did, that was the Holy Spirit. Congratulations, right? (laughs) But God gives us an ability to love his people. God gives us an ability by his Holy Spirit to overlook people in loving people. That's from the Lord. That's from God. Uh, And so here here are the people complaining again about the meat. uh, And and I want to pick up, uh, let's see. I'm sorry. Uh, in, in verse 16, but Moses has begun himself to complain. Um, when we, we read this last week, so I don't want to go over everything again. But about Moses complaining as well before the Lord, I'm not able to bear these people alone. That's that. That's kind of what I was just talking about. So verse 16, the Lord said to Moses. "'Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, "'whom you know to be elders of the people, "'and officers over them. "'Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, "'that they may stand there with you. "'Then I will come down and talk with you there. "'I will take of the, Holy Spirit, or I will take of the Spirit that is upon you "'and will put the same upon them, "'and they shall bear the burdens of the people with you, "'that you may not bear it yourself alone. "'Then you shall say to the people, "'Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, "'and you shall eat meat.' For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who was among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? Now, for those of you who are married, this would be akin to you walking into your house after work or at the end of the day and hearing your spouse weeping, saying, Why did I ever get married? (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine how that would feel in your heart. If you came home and your spouse didn't know you were there and you heard them weeping, not just saying, oh, yeah, well, he's an idiot, so, you know, what are you going to do? I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, that when I... But weeping and wailing and why, why did I ever marry? What would that do to your heart? Can you imagine what that would do to your heart? To know and understand that your, your spouse, in a very real moment when they didn't think anyone was listening... Was, was weeping, not just complaining about you, but weeping and bemoaning that they had ever been married to you, especially, especially if you had met that person on a life-saving mission where they had been in a situation and a circumstance where they were completely without food and water and at the verge of being killed. And you took them and you rescued them from that situation and brought them back to our country and the, and, and, and helped them get on their feet. And then you developed a relationship and ended up getting married from that point. Imagine if then you heard them weeping and will. Why? They, it was so much better back in. Can you imagine? So here's Almighty God. Here's Almighty God. He's never done anything wrong to these people. There's no possible reason for them to be bewailing and bemoaning the fact that he had taken them from Egypt, where they were crying out because of the taskmaster's whip, because of the oppression that they lived under. And God rescued them from that. But now because there's no meat, because there's not meat to eat, because there's not the onions and the leeks and the garlic and all of the flavorful, tasty things that went along with bondage that now they only remember their wailing and weeping. And God heard it. So he says, I'm going to give you meat for a whole month until it comes out of your nose. I'm going to give you meat until it comes out of your nose. Now, uh, a couple of things here. First of all, God is doing two things. First of all, he's helping out Moses. And I love this, because Moses is complaining like the people are complaining. But here's the difference. Uh, and, and we're going to get, get going to get to this in another portion as well. First Peter chapter three and verse twelve says this: "For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." God knows the heart. You understand what I'm saying? So the people were complaining and bewailing and bemoaning. For a completely different reason than Moses was wailing and complaining and bemoaning. The people were completely rejecting God in their hearts. They were completely rejecting the fact that God had rescued them. And had brought them out of Egypt for a very specific purpose. To do something very specifically with an entire nation. And had already performed some of the greatest miracles that the world has ever seen before or since. And that they had witnessed with their own eyes, and yet they wanted nothing to do with it all. We'd rather be back in Egypt. There's a very large difference between that heart and the heart that comes before the Lord saying, Why me, Lord? <laughs> what have I ever... I mean, like you see Moses going, Why me? That's what he's saying. Why, well, Lord, why? I can't be these people... <laughs> Yes, he's complaining. Yes, he's moaning. Probably God was not an enormous fan of it. But the heart of Moses was with God. Does that make sense? The heart of Moses was with God. His heart never departed from God. Know this, know this, Christian. You have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, cast some of your cares upon him. A few? A couple. Not too many. The Bible says, cast all of your cares upon him. Think of, think of visually. Close your eyes and visualize what does it look like to cast your cares upon him, to throw it on him. Get this away from me. And so, good thing it's not real fire. Can you imagine? Why me, Lord? <laughs> Why did I burn the church down? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> God knows the difference. God knows the difference is the the point that I I wanted to make there. And I had another point, but it's gone now because of the candle. Uh, Thank you, Papa. Cast all your cares upon him. That's right. Think of that. Visualize that. Casting your cares upon him. Well, that seems kind of reckless. It seems kind of almost obtuse. It seems a little blunt. It seems just almost a little careless, just just throwing everything at God. No, 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 throw, throw it at me, throw it at me. It's like if you saw your little child carrying a heavy burden across the yard and they're struggling. What would you do as a parent? What is your initial, immediate response? Help, 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 help. No, don't hand it to me like that, you idiot. No, 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 no. Drop it, honey. Drop it, drop it. Just give it to daddy. Just give it to daddy. Because my only concern in that moment is to see my little child relieved of that burden. That's that's what matters to me. That's our heavenly Father. He wants to see you relieved. Now, when I say he wants to see you relieved of the burden, it may not be in the sense in which you think. He wants you to be relieved of the burden. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go away. Here's another example. The little kid is carrying the stone across the yard to place it in the garden because he's helping with the garden work, and I want him to help with the garden work or her to help with the garden work because I'm teaching them what it is to help, and I'm teaching them what it means to have a garden. I've never actually taught this lesson, as you can see from my yard, but... um, I want them to know something. I want them to learn something from the experience. I want them to understand what work is, that hard work is not pleasant all the time, and that it's just stuff that has to be done, but it's a very important lesson for that child to learn, and so they need to carry that rock, and they need to bring it all the way to the garden, but here's the thing. It's the footsteps in the stand. I want to be there to help them the whole way. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to be injured helping me or in me teaching them, but I want to help them along. Cast all your cares, cast all your burdens. That's what Moses is doing. He's casting it upon the Lord. God doesn't respond to Moses in any anger or any discipline or even with a correction because he knows where Moses' heart is at. And so he answers it and tells him that he's going to appoint some men to help him with the burden. And he also deals with the complaints of the people. Because they're complaining again for a completely different reason. They are bemoaning and bewailing the fact that God had ever brought them out of Egypt in the first place. And so God is going to do something completely different with the people than he does to Moses. He's going to respond completely different to the people than he's going to respond to Moses. And so that's why he doesn't respond to Moses' complaining. He answers Moses' complaining. But he responds to the people complaining, it's because of the heart. It's, that's the difference. It's going to come out of their nose. <clears throat> now verse 21, Moses again, again does something that we go, hmm, I don't think you're supposed to do that. Verse 21, Moses said, the people whom I, whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Stop right there and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Now here's the backdrop. Uh, Israel is being besieged by the Assyrians. And because of the siege that they've laid around the city, the people have been completely without food. They're selling dove's dung and donkey heads, okay, for high prices in the streets. And finally, one woman comes up to the king and says, King, I want you to settle an argument between me and my my neighbor lady. He said, What's the problem? Well, yesterday we agreed we were going to cook and eat our babies. And yesterday we cooked and ate her baby, or my, uh, her baby, or, or I'm sorry, my baby, and now today she won't cook and eat her baby with me. And the king, this is how bad it is, and the king cries out, if I don't get the head of that prophet, if I don't get the head of the prophet, of course, the king blames it all on Elisha, because Elisha had said that these things were going to come upon the nation Israel. But why did those things come upon the nation of Israel? It was because of their idolatry. It was because of their wickedness. God had told them again and again and again. That's the backdrop. We're not going to do a lesson in that yet, but that's the backdrop. And so uh, the king sends men to Elijah's house to either kill him or get a word from him. So chapter 7, verse 1, Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, just so you know, that's good food for great prices, okay? <laughs> Without getting into it. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you won't eat of it. And what happened? God did an amazing miracle, and as the people were running to the source of God's miracle, this man on whom the king leaned, on whose hand the king leaned, was trampled to death. So he saw God provide, but he never experienced it, just exactly like the prophet of God had said. If you want to learn more about that story, it's an amazing story. Second Kings read chapters six and seven when you get home. So doesn't it sound the same? Listen to what Moses says. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered? The people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you said I will give them meat that they will eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? It sounds the same, doesn't it? It sounds like the same kind of unbelief. So what's the difference? First Peter chapter 3, and verse 12. Again. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It was the heart of the one speaking. Moses is asking God a question. How, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to make this happen? I don't see how this is possible, Lord. In spite of the fact that you opened the Red Sea, (laughs) in spite of all the miracles that you've done, I don't see how you're going to do this, Lord. And he's asking the Lord. The, hand on who, the man on whose hand the king leaned has a completely different attitude. Real, oh, oh, okay. God is not, no. What is he going to do? Open windows and have complete unbelief. Complete lack of faith. That's the difference. Uh, so verse 24, or verse 23, here's what the Lord says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now, that you, now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So he says, Moses, stand back and watch. Moses, I get it. Moses, I understand. You're unhappy. The people are complaining. And you're having to deal with it. I get it. I'm going to give you some help. Moses, you're wondering how this is going to happen. I get it. You're going to stand back and you're going to watch and see. So watch this. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. You see that? Moses didn't understand why the things were happening to him that were happening to him. He was upset about the people complaining, and he had no idea how God was going to do the things that God said he was going to do, and yet he turned around and went right out to the people and told them what God said. And how many of those people do you think said, if God were to open windows in heaven, would we all have meat to eat? Moses didn't understand it, Moses had doubts about it, and yet God said it to him, and so he acted in obedience. That's the difference. That's the heart difference right there. He told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. So, so here's Moses both ways. He's complaining about the people. He's he's, he's asking God how he's going to provide meat for the people. And then he goes out, gives him the word, and obeys God. Gathers the 70 elders God had told him to gather and told the people everything that was going to happen. In one verse, verse 24, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Uh, But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eladad and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad and my dad and your dad, sorry, I can't help it, are prophesying in the camp. This is interesting. In verse 28. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Interesting. Joshua, the son of Nun, zealous for Moses a great, great man who was going to become a great leader himself, who followed Moses and was an assistant to Moses, and he sees other people prophesying, other people doing what Moses was supposed to be doing, and he gets jealous for Moses. It's interesting. Lord, my Lord, Moses, other men, are, forbid them. Stop them from doing it. It's amazing how competition can arise within the body, whether it's between churches or between ministries Or, well, my pastor, this, or my pastor, this, or our church, this, or our church, that. Oh, my goodness. Remember when Peter said, some people are out there saying, I follow Paul. Or Paul said this. Some people said, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. And he says, "Is, is is Christ divided? Did Paul die for you? He said, no, 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 no. We don't follow men. We follow God. God appoints men to do the work that he's called them to do. God appoints men and women to do the work of the ministry. But it is never, ever, ever at any point ever about them. There is no church of Frank Thomas or Frank Thomas Sr. There is no church of this one or that one or this. Oh, it's this guy's church. Oh, it's that guy's church. Oh, it's that lady's church. It's Jesus' church, or it's not. It's a church that's doing the will of God, or it's not. Christ isn't divided. And I love Moses' attitude here because, you know, and Joshua is a younger man, and he's zealous, and he's a, he loves Moses. He looks up to Moses. Moses is the leader, he reveres him, and he sees someone else doing his job, and he immediately he's like, Stop him, stop him. Only Moses can do that. But Moses' attitude, completely different. All he sees is relief. All he sees is people to help in the ministry, people to help do the work of the ministry. Oh, my goodness. And I, I joke, I talk about this all the time, you know what I mean? Like, I, I pray all the time for some somebody to come, come into this church who is a musician, who is like a super musician, voice of an angel, plays the guitar like, you know, I don't know, whoever (laughs) some great guitar player and can come in here and just take over worship and turn it into some beautifully orchestrated musical thing i would be i would run to the back i love to sing i love to worship i love to worship but i would love to give that to someone else i would absolutely love to give that to someone else if the lord does that if the lord does it great if he doesn't who cares right it is what it is till then you get me right But I would love that. How awesome would it be if we had 60 people in this church? If we had 60 people in this church who were able to do this or able to... It's never too much. It's never, ever, ever too much. It's only ever the Lord adding. It's only ever the Lord doing more work and more of what he does. Our response and our attitude should just always step back. We're always so... um, What's the word I'm looking for when you don't trust something? Appreh- what's it? Wary? Yeah, wary, that's a good word. But like, uh, like, like um, we're always, we don't trust the situation or we're so Im- cynical. Who said that? Cynical, that's it. Cynical, we can be so cynical. God starts to do a work, people are excited about it. Uh, uh, uh. Well, listen. If if there's something going on and it's an error, if there's something going on or there's something that's being taught that goes against what God's word says, we're going to be honest about that, right? We're going to call, we follow the Bible. We don't follow a ministry. We follow the Bible. We don't follow some new movement in the church. There's been lots of movements in the church. You know what I'm saying? And some of them have been like, really like a movement, (laughs) okay? Because they've gone completely against what God's word says. I don't care. I don't care who it is. I don't care what the movement is. You know what I'm saying? I don't care. This is where, this is where, angry Frank, uh, this is what I'm zealous for. I don't care who it is. If they're saying something that goes against what God's word teaches, I would love to go and stand in front of their face and tell them. I'm mean, seriously, that angers me. Who are you? Who are you? Well, I have this many people that I've written this man. I don't care. You are no one. You're either a servant of God or you're not. Those are the two kinds of people, right? We're not zealous for men. We're zealous for God. Moses, is like, I wish they all would prophesy. I wish everybody could speak to a rock. I wish everyone had a staff of God. And it's going to happen. We're going to look at, going to come down through here, and all the hell, is, we've got a staff. We've got a staff too. We should be able to do what Moses says. well, so let's bring him before the Lord. Remember, Aaron's rod budded and grew almonds and dates and all these things. But Moses is like, I wish everybody could do what I'm doing. Joshua, you don't even know what you're saying. It would be fantastic. Okay, so verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. So all around the camp. Now remember, we're talking about 600, Moses said it again, 600,000 men on foot. That's the fighting men. That's not women. That's not kids. That's not elderly. Six Half over half a million just fighting men. We're talking about a group of a million and a half to two million people, approximately. So imagine the size of the camp. Remember, God had them set up the tabernacle in the very center of camp, and then the camps, according to their tribes, gathered and and pitched their tents all the way around. So from that point, uh, verse 31, A wind uh, went out from the Lord and brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. Here it is. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side all around the camp. Okay, so <clears throat> here's the tabernacle. There's a million and a half to, uh, to two million people encamped all around the tabernacle. Imagine that as a, a square, if you will, okay, a big square. Now, all around the entire camp, a day's journey away, there's quail, two cubits deep. You understand? As you go out, it gets bigger. It's a, it's, there's so many quail, there's probably God did creation. There's, there's that many quail and they're just piled deep, just laying there fluttering. I mean, that's easy quail right there. You know what I mean? That's chicken wings on the ground, baby. Steaming hot, ready with buckets of blue cheese. You know, it's just ready. They go a day's journey and oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now, let's watch what happens. <clears throat> Verse 32. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day. Okay? What? 36 hours? Or, I'm sorry, about 24 hours straight. Imagine. 20, say 24 hours straight gathering quail. And he who gathered least gathered ten homers. I have no idea how much that is. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Okay, so everyone goes from their tent, and they go out, everyone goes out from their position, they go out to where the quail is laying, and for 24 hours straight or more, they gather quail. Imagine how much quail that is. Well, it's ten homers (laughs) who gathered least. It's a lot of quail. It's a lot of quail. Verse 33. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Ava, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. Kibroth Ava means... Graves of craving. That's what Kibroth Hata'Avah means. Graves of craving. And from Kibroth Hata'Avah, the people moved to Hezeroth and camped at Hezeroth. So now we have the people. They go out for 24 hours or more. They gather quail. Tons and tons and piles and piles of quail that they had been bemoaning about. They bring it back. They prepare it. They begin to eat it. And while it's still between their teeth. Now, remember what God had said for a whole month, not for one day, not for two days, not for five days, 10 days, or 20 days, but for a whole month. Now, we find here at the end of verse 11, while it was still between their teeth, they were struck with a plague. Verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of God was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. But they had to keep eating it for a month. You see that? They gathered the quail, and while it was still in their mouths, it made them sick, and they couldn't stop eating it for a month. Imagine, you ever been to a, 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 a certain type of restaurant? I do sprinkler inspections, and I go into some of these places, and I go, oh, my goodness. Don't eat there. Don't eat there. They thaw their meat out in the sun. You know what I mean? Oh, I've seen it. It's crazy. But if you've ever had food poisoning, how many have enjoyed that? Right? Isn't that wonderful? Imagine you go to a restaurant, and you eat there, and it makes you so violently ill and sick. You're green around the gills the next day. And you have to go back there and eat it again. And then you have to go back there and eat it again. And then you have to go back there and eat it again for a month. For a month. Until it killed him. That is how God views sin. That is how God views the things that our flesh craves. That thing, or those things, or whatever it is, don't ever yield. Don't ever yield to your flesh's craving. We've all done it. We've all done it. And I don't ever want to. And I've I've had many kibroth hatavas in my life. I've had many, many, many kibroth hatavas throughout my entire life, where God has allowed me to fully immerse myself in something. And though it is absolutely destroying my life, I can't stop. I can't stop. And there's so many things in people's lives around us where they're involved in something and they're doing something and they're in a relationship or whatever the case may be and it's destroying them and they can't stop. Their flesh has craved it. Their flesh desired it and even though it's killing them inside their flesh still craves it and still desires it and they eat upon themselves destruction and they can't stop god will allow that god will allow that in a person's life god will allow us to kib rathata of ourselves until we say what i need to get rid of is my craving what i need to get rid of in my life is a thing that I know goes against God's word and what He's told me not to do that I crave and I do anyways. That's what we need to address in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Your Word and uh, Lord, we're grateful for for the lessons that You teach us. Lord of the of the hearts um, of Moses and versus the people and uh, Lord, we ask and pray that You would help us to learn very well, Lord, the lesson of. of trusting in you father and believing in you but also that we're we're able to cast our cares upon you father we're so thankful for that you're so patient uh and understanding and loving to us lord and lord we ask and pray that you would help us uh lord to um to address the cravings in our lives father the things that we we allow in our lives lord that we know are uh are harmful father to the spirit are harmful to our relationship with you father and yet we can't seem to stop ourselves uh, Lord, and maybe you've allowed us to become fully, completely immersed in it, Lord. and um, Lord, we're, we're grateful and thankful that we don't have to, to sit here until we die. We can uh, call out on you, Father, and we can be relieved. Lord, and we can be taken and saved from our kibrafata ava, Father. we ask that you would help us to, um, to come to a place of realization in our lives, Father, that you're all we need. Uh, Lord, and everything else, uh, Lord, is second to you. Lord, and all the other things that you've blessed us with and you've put in our lives are for the purpose of serving you with. Uh, Lord, even though we may enjoy it so much, Lord, and you've blessed us with so many wonderful things, and we're so thankful for that. We pray, Father, that, that it wouldn't ever be about us. And Lord, and we would just put into perspective, Lord, not only our, uh, our earthly possession, Lord, or, or our, 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 our station in life, but also, Lord, uh, the things that we desire, the things that we long for, Father, that we would put everything in in line with your will and with your heart and with your word, Father. Help us to truly be people who walk and live in the light, Lord, as you're in the light. We thank you and we praise you, Father. We glorify you. Uh, We pray that you'd be with our our three um, birthday friends, Lord. Um, We pray that you'd bless them and their hearts. We're so grateful and we're thankful, Father, for the ministries that they've had, Lord, in their lives and for the way that you use them to this day, Father. And what an encouragement they are and a blessing they are to this fellowship. Lord, we ask and pray that you would bless their homes and that you would bless their relationships and their lives, Father. Uh, Father, and that they would see you brighter and brighter, Lord. That And at, at in their 80s, they wouldn't be done. They wouldn't be at the end of their journey, Father, but just beginning their journey with you. And that you would be showing them things and teaching them things they never knew before, Father, as they seek after your face. So I pray that you'd bless them and that you'd give them health and peace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.